Hello, humans. Hello, humans. Hello, humans of the world. It is me, Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio, where idealism um, and idealists reign supreme, or at least I'd like to think that. Hello. How are you? Happy July to you. Um, I've got a show um, where I offer hope, um, generally, okay, um, where I offer hope that things will get better, where I remind that regardless of how we make people feel other, most of us care about each other greatly. That is my show in general. Um, but today, specifically, um, the show is particularly, I think, pressing. I have a big interview. The big interview is with a man named Abdi Sabri, who lives in Mankato. He is on the school board for the Mankato schools. And he's going to share a story about how uh, he has been marginalized and how children of color have been marginalized in Mankato. Um, and uh, those of you may recall that Governor Walls, whom I have great respect for and great hope for, there's that word, um, actually formally taught as a teacher in Mankato. So, um, so we're going to hear from Abdi. And in my C block, I'm going to talk a little bit about my work and my hopes for work in greater Minnesota. But here in the A block, let's begin with talking about a big idea. The idea, reparations for African Americans to level the economic playing field between white-color Americans and African Americans going back to owing to, to hundreds of years of repression and oppression that have greatly affected um, African Americans all the way up to today. Okay, I know. This may be the first time some of you have ever heard about the idea of reparations. Others of you may um, have heard about this idea bouncing around, and you may have heard uh, some of the arguments for reparations and rejected those arguments outright, because this is a very, very touchy subject in America right now. Reparations. That is, making some kind of amends financially for um, the enslavement of uh, dark, dark-skinned people from Africa and their descendants. But some of you may also be open to this argument. So let me lay out the case for reparations. Um, uh, and, and just so you know, I am in favor of reparations in one form or another. Uh, much, uh, but not all of what I'm going to say to you is from a June 27th New York Times Magazine piece titled, quote, What is Owed, unquote, by, by Nicole Hannah-Jones, who I've talked about before. She's the Pulitzer Prize-winning New York Times columnist who created the 1619 Project, which ran last year, last August, about Americans' history with slavery. So the argument for reparations is this. Beginning with the first enslaved Africans brought to the U.S. in 1619, white Americans, at that time they weren't Americans, they were, they were colonists uh, for England, but eventually became Americans, built a country with the physical labor of people who were enslaved. We did. Our ancestors did. We need to be aware that at first, enslaved humans and slavery was allowed throughout the English colonies. It was. There was slavery that occurred in in New England that occurred in New York City. Um, and it wasn't until the mid-1700s that some northern colonies made slavery illegal. Throughout all of the time, but that did not mean that runaway slaves were necessarily free, okay? It meant that there were slave patrols. It meant that 
People who had escaped slavery from the South in some of the states, they were sent back, okay, to their quote-unquote masters. I do not like that word, but that's the what they were called. Throughout all of the time before the revolution and formation of the Constitution, um, and you may remember that in the Constitution, enslaved humans were not treated as citizens and were only treated as three-fifth humans, three-fifth citizens, um, and that for 20 years after the Constitution was was written, more than 20 years, um, the importation of enslaved humans was allowed in the United States, what became the United States. That was allowed until 1820. And during that time, so let's go back all the way to 1619, but certainly let's just go back to this formation of the country um, in the late uh, 1700s. Throughout that time, Americans built wealth. Okay, white-colored Americans did. They bought and sold land. They created businesses that were passed down to their children. They saved and they invested. And that included creating wealth in the form of buying and selling enslaved humans. Enslaved humans were considered property. They weren't considered humans. And you may recall that um, two years ago, I reported on my speaking and listening trip to the South, where... which included me stopping in Montgomery, Alabama. Now, Montgomery, it's a very historic city um, for pre-Civil War, during the Civil War, and the Civil Rights Movement. And there is a placard in downtown Montgomery that talks about slave markets um, because uh, Court Square in in Montgomery is where the slave markets were located. And uh, this placard says, In part, quote, I'm reading from a picture of it. Slaves of all ages were auctioned, along with the land and livestock standing in line to be inspected. Public posters advertised sales and included gender, approximate age, first name. Slaves did not have last names. Skill, price, complexion, and the owner's name. In the 1850s, able field hands brought $1,500. Skilled artisans, $3,000. In 1859, the city, that is Montgomery, had seven auctioneers, and four slave depots. This is real. Enslaved humans in 1850s bought, uh, sold for $1,500. Do you know, with inflation, how much $1,500 in 1850 is worth today? It is worth $49,306 in 2020 dollars. People selling enslaved humans were taking the money of selling those enslaved humans and then investing it and benefiting from it in their lives. They were investing it in, in, their, in their businesses, money from selling enslaved humans. They were passing that money on to their children. They were saving that money. By the time of the Civil War, there were four million enslaved humans in the South Now, get this. The value of those four million enslaved humans as of the time of the Civil War, their value added up to more than all of America's railroads and factories combined. Think about that. Yes, the Civil War resulted in the Emancipation Proclamation and the 13th Amendment, which freed enslaved humans. But once freed, we did nothing to enable these new Americans to earn a living. When America created the Homestead Act in 1868 to open up the West and Midwest with free 160-acre tracts, it did so only for white-color people. 
The newly freed black Americans were not allowed to take part in homesteading. The scope of this, just this one white subsidizing program, were an is enormous. From 1868 to 1934, the federal government gave away 246 million acres, nearly 10% of all the land in the United States. They did that to originally one and a half million white families. Today, that one and a half million white families has spawned into 46 million Americans who can in one way or another trace their heritage back to families that benefited from the Homestead Act. That 46 million Americans today is 20% of our population. All of them descended one way or another from original homesteaders. All the while that black color Americans, African Americans were shut out from that wealth creation. So you get the idea of how racism benefited white-color people to the detriment of black-color Americans. Now, out of, uh, out of that has come the talk about reparations. And I'm out of time to talk about how that would be paid out. You know, it could be cash from the federal government, college scholarships, or other mechanisms. Maybe that's time for another talk. Suffice to say that in this decade of the 2020s, America will have to reckon with this subject of reparations. I urge you to read up on it, to become better educated. But most importantly, I ask you not to fear it, not to be afraid of the subject of reparations, not to resent it, and certainly not to be shamed by it. I'm not here to shame any of you. I hope that you can detect that certainly from the inflections in my voice. This hard part, this talking about reparations, about helping to give African Americans the ability to accumulate some wealth which was taken away from them, which they were prevented from acquiring, this is the hard work of dealing with structural racism. And part of this is the hard work of being an idealist, wanting to make lasting, positive change for America. Yeah. Yep. I'm going to continue to break you the tough topics. I am, because that's what an idealist does. Okay, if you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Follow me on Twitter at, at elliej. No, excuse me, at elliekrug on Twitter. And email me at elliejkrug at gmail.com. We'll be back for the big interview in a second. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works. LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. Did you know there's deconstruction funding available now for homeowners and contractors in Hennepin County? If you are embarking on a remodel or teardown this year, consider hiring Better Futures Minnesota's deconstruction crews instead of demolition. By taking a house or building apart by hand instead of destroying it with heavy equipment, the materials can be reused or recycled instead of going into the landfill. It is much more cost-effective and is a carbon-neutral solution. Go to betterfuturesminnesota.com and look under business services to learn more.
And we're back on AM 950, Ellie 2.0 Radio, um, with me, Ellie Krug. Uh, all right, so um, as I requested, read up about reparations. It is a topic that you will be hearing a great deal about as we go forward. Now, for our big interview, I have Abdi Sabri on the line from Mankato. Abdi is the um, one of the Mankato school board uh, um, uh, people. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's not a very good. Uh, he's a member of the Mankato School Board, and uh, he's also uh, somebody very active in the community in in uh, Mankato. Abri, are you on the line there, please? Yes, I am. Hi, thank you. Thanks, Abri. Abdi, thank you, Abdi. And and so, Abdi, you and I um, know each other just uh, tangentially because I was in Mankato last fall and I did a training, and you happened to be in the audience of that training. Is that right? That's correct. Okay, and then after the training was done, you reached out to me, you sent me an email, which was um, very um, revealing about some of the dynamics going on in uh, Mankato. Uh, um, and and can, you, uh, can you explain to us, first of all, a little bit about you and um, how it is that you and I are talking? Okay, so, you know, my story is very long, so I'm going to get to the gist of it. You know, I'm uh, originally from, you know, East Africa, from Somalia specifically. I was, I was born to a nomadic family, uh, you know, that wandered from place to place in search of grazing water for the animals. And so when I was born, my, my family were on the side of Ethiopian side, you know, so then, then I grew up in Mogadishu, Somalia, and... I came to the United States in 1982, about 40 years ago, as a young man to go to school. So, and I started out, you know, in Boston and then Washington D.C. and you know, and then Atlanta, 15 years, and I moved to Minnesota in 2009, completely out of the blue because I had, uh, I have seven kids now, one of one of which is a Minnesotan who was born here. The other six. We moved from Atlanta to Minnesota because two of my daughters had respiratory problems because of the, you know, the environment in Atlanta, which is not very conducive for children with respiratory problems. Doctors advised me to find some place else to live, and that's why I came. And then I discovered a, a significant East African immigrant community from South Sudan and Somalia that were really struggling with the systems here and the culture and the weather and everything else. And I became a natural go-between, and I got involved in a lot of bridging, you know, uh, efforts uh, through nonprofits. So I co-founded and, and ran at least two nonprofits, and through that I became a, you know, advocate uh, for those who have no voice, have no understanding of the system and the culture, and could not access education equitably. And that's, that's the background. And the, the talk that you gave, that you and I met, was uh, for the legal community. And I'm a, on the board of Southern Minnesota Regional Legal Services, the legal aid that serves about over 20 uh, counties. And because of my advocacy, that's a great outfit that supports my mission and, and passion. And we access civil, you know, uh, uh, legal uh, representation through that organization for people who are underserved, who are low income, who, including education advocacy. So 
So that's just to give you a little bit. There's a lot to this story, but that's, I just want to give you a little bit there. Okay, thanks, Abdi. And, and, and you're right. Uh, so I went down to Mankato. I did uh, do a training for legal aid down there, as well as um, you know, local lawyers who were invited to come to the training, Gray Area Thinking. And then um, you reached out to me afterwards to give me some context about the community and some of the challenges that you've had. And in fact, because you had written, you had reached out to me, I in turn um, have attempted to reach out to the governor to talk to the governor about um, issues around um, inclusion and uh, racial uh, tensions in greater Midwest. And unfortunately, the governor has not yet <laughs> taken my call. But nonetheless, you were the one who spurred me to do that. Now, Abdi, you and I are talking specifically because you are a member of the, of the school board for uh, the city of Mankato for their schools. And you had something happen earlier this year uh, that um, really drove uh, a wedge between you and the rest of the school board members. Do you want to uh, talk about that, please? Yes, uh, and uh, through the advocacy that I talked about, uh, I, I ran for, for a school board. So by, by advocating for people who are low-income, who are from immigrant background, who are most often single mother of seven children with no father figure in the family, uh, you know, I was really be, very became passionate, and I and I was looking for the best way to bridge that. Uh, and I've discovered that education, access to education, is the best social, you know, bridge yep. that people from that background can access and become self advocates instead of needing people for a lifelong, you know, assistance. Yep, I call uh, I call education the great leveler. That's for sure. Go ab- ahead. Absolutely, and that's yep. why my passion. You know, no, no one individual can do everything. So my passion became education. And as a result of that, I ran for school board two times unsuccessfully before I was successful the third time. So, you know, I, I was first elected in uh, uh, November 2015, but oh. I ran two times prior to that unsuccessfully. Okay. And, and the community, I, I, I have to uh, acknowledge, you know, I, as I speak about all the not so good things. But I want, at the front end, I want to acknowledge Mankato community. And our school district is both Mankato and North Mankato. We actually serve three different counties, Blue Earth County, Nicollet County, and Little Little Sur. So I'm, I was elected at large, so I represent everybody okay. in, 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 in the area that the school district serves. And so when I was elected, you know, in 2015, I joined a board of uh, six women, six white women, and a superintendent who was also white, female. I was the only male, <laughs> not just the only person of color to be elected in the history of Mankato, but also the only male. So you can imagine that it's a lot to, for me to navigate, you know, as a black man, to work with white women who, for the most part, they were following the template of white men leadership. And, and it was really very, it became, and they, they felt most of them were on the board by the time I joined. Some of them were like 20 years, 14 hmm. years, you know. Right. And they felt they owned the district. I mean, it was like they were speaking from the perspective that the district is theirs 
and I'm kind of invading. I'm a guest for them, and I'm invading their their natural, you know, space. And I was it's really very hard. And I I've tried for five years. And okay, so Abdi, try to have a comp- yes. So Abdi, hold on a second. I don't want to be disrespectful, but we've got to take okay, a break. No well, we've got to take no. a break. But when we come back from the break, I want you to finish this story. Okay, it's a very okay. very all important right. story for our listeners. All right. No problem. Okay, no all right. Problem. All right, so listeners, we're speaking to Abdi Sabri um, from Mankato about his experience of being on the school board in Mankato. Um, when we come back from our break, we'll continue our interview with Abdi. Thanks. Hi, Alex of Better Futures Minnesota. Does your business or organization need janitorial services, lawn care, or snow services? Obtain a free, no-obligation estimate from Better Futures Minnesota when you mention that you heard about us on AM 950. Our supervised, hardworking, and affordable crews will handle your interior and exterior building and property maintenance needs while you help men in your community transform their lives and walk on a positive path to success. It's a win-win. To learn more, go to BetterFuturesMinnesota.com under Business Services. Brending Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. And we're back on AM 950 LE 2.0 Radio. All right. Um, before we took our break, we had started uh, the big interview with Abdi Sabri, and he Abdi is still on there. And as as we were closing out that last segment, he was speaking about being on the board of uh, the Man- for the Mankato schools, being the the only man as well as the only person of color. Um, as opposed to uh, other uh, board members who were female and many and white and and white color and many who had been there for a long time. So, so Abdi, you get on the board, you're realizing that you know there are people that have been running this school board for a certain way for a long time, and you're yeah. the you're the outsider, and yeah. um, and and then you started to encounter some some resistance and then some issues. Is that right? Absolutely. Essentially, the the board chair at the time, who was also female, told me, uh, "Shut up, sit down, and learn." Basically, in a very disrespectful fashion. I mean, in no uncertain terms. And, yep. and I did respond to that in a, in a gracious manner and a very respectful manner because, you know, I'm a black man talking to a white female, so in in power, in a position of power. So, uh, from that point on. Uh, I tried to find inroads and common ground, but my colleagues were always uh, busy trying to find ways to exclude me in the governance. And, yeah. and, and the boards by design, you know, majority rules. So, so I put up with that, you know, because I, I got there to, it's not a job or a profession. I, I was there to, you know, try to, find voice for people who have no voice and 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 i want to make it clear i'm not a person that 
advocates for people of color only. I, the, our public education, the, you know, excludes students with disability, low income, yep. students of color, English language learners. All those categories, the same, same, you know, outcomes. You know, that is less than. Right. And and those are the groups of students that are advocated for. And at the end, so. When I when I got on the board, my my profile was very high in the community. Somehow, my colleagues found that to be intimidating, and they they even told me I should not be speaking publicly at gatherings and should not do anything. You know, I should bring down my profile. and And I said that that's not something I will do. And I and I I can do both. I could be a high profile and an act, active member of the community and also be effective as a school board member. And this culminated at the end that they they have somehow portrayed the profile of the board as a, a photo that we all together and the the board chair and the superintendent did whatever they wanted to do. So they, nobody else has a voice. And okay. and I and I resisted. I said, uh, let's have a conversation how we identify our profile. Hold hold on, to the hold, public. Yeah, hold on, yeah. Auntie. I, I just want to set the yeah. stage a little bit better. Okay, so okay. You, so. It, you know, so as school boards are, they're going to issue a, a public photo of all the school yeah. board members, right? Yes. Okay, and then, um, and you wanted to have a conversation about how that photo, you know, was taken and how the board members were portrayed. Do I have that right? Absolutely. Okay, and then what happened? So they they set up a meeting for the uh, for the photo session. And that time didn't work for me. And I responded, no, that time doesn't work for me. So then I was not even given a second option or if I, you know, alternative time. They went ahead and took the photo and and then put it on the website. And I said, I spoke to the superintendent. By now, we have a, another superintendent who happens to be a male superintendent who's, who's really a great guy, who, you know. But I talked to him and, and I said, you know, this photo cannot go up. I'm, I'm equally, you know, uh, elected as the rest of the board and I'm not in there, so it should not, but it went ahead anyway and put the photo up because of the pressure from the rest of the board members. Hold on. Okay. So again, I'm interrupting you, I know, but I'm just trying to, That's okay. you know, okay. Thank you. Thanks for letting me do that. So I've got this right. So you've got a white male superintendent now at, uh, in, mm-hmm. At that time, uh, when the photo was taken, it's the same person today. And then you've got still an all-white rest of Mankato school board, several other members, right? Yes. yes. And they take a they they want to take a photo. Uh, you like, hey, I can't make it at the time, which is very. I mean, I've I've been to a lot of photo shoots, and it's a lot about you know, um, you know, juggling people's schedules. And um, they're like, well, too bad. We're going to go take the photo. They took it without you, and then they put the photo up on on the on the on the website for the school district. Is that right? Yes. With all yes. white with all white people, white color people, Absolutely. without Absolutely. you, without you, an, a board Absolutely. member who'd been a part of the board for several years at that point. Do I have all Absolutely. of that all of that right? Four years already, and yep. and I had a meeting with the board chair, who is now a male. You know, who, who came in two years right. ago. Male superintendent, you know, male uh, uh, board member, who became the chair because he's a white male. 
<laughs> he didn't even have the experience that I have. I, I have two years senior to him. And so I had a meeting with him and I said, you can have this board, uh, this uh, photo should come down because I'm not in there. And then I had a meeting with him and the superintendent. And I said the same thing. Uh, and none of that was taken to heart. So I just let it go. And, and then everything happened in our state. Yep. George Floyd was killed, unfortunately. And there were all these uprisings, pandemic, all these emotions, all these undercurrents of society came, came to the fore. And that really uh, brought up all these things that I endured for the last four and a half years uh, in the board. And that culminated in me speaking my mind on Facebook posting and, you know, uh, sharing how I feel about what happened to me and how it's connected to the system-wide inequity that yep. exists in our society. And that's how it started. Okay, so you went on Facebook, you said, hey, listen, I'm, I'm really upset still about this photo. And then, yes. uh, and then what happened? So I, I screenshot the photo that excluded me, and I said, you know, this is, this is an example of what racism looks like in the boardroom, that I'm equally elected at large member of the board and the only person, you know, black person on the board, and I was excluded. This is how much, you know, uh, you know, white, you know, privilege can, yep. can do that yep. people without, uh, don't even think twice that they can do this to someone who was equally elected by the community who has the equal power, and they have no authority to exclude me. Uh, this is not something that we voted on, that they outvoted me or anything like that. So, so that's how it came about. And, and then the board chair responded to my uh, posting and made a statement on behalf of the board, again, without con my consultation, because I'm one of the board, and, and said that I was essentially lying, that that didn't happen. And... But the but the picture tells a different story. <laughs> yeah, the picture then, the picture has all white people and it doesn't have you. I mean, right, re, right. Re, you know, Abdi. I mean, don't yes. just the idea that they would go and do that without including you. Okay, you yes. know, whatever the schedule issues were, whatever the hurdles were, the idea that they would not care enough to make sure that the picture had you in it. Uh, yes. To me, is appalling. Okay, it just is. But I, they, but they I, have I, now. But Abdi, they have now reacted further, and they've taken the picture off the website for the school district. Do I have that correct? Yes, absolutely. And did they apologize? An apology was given. They gave yes. you an apology. The, okay. Yeah. Now, now the apology was given publicly, and they've taken down the <laughs> initial response that I was lying, and they've taken that down, and instead put up a official uh, response, uh, an apology, and then we had a meeting, board meeting after that, mediation. Okay. Now, Abdi, we're running out of time, but I just want to get one more thing out, okay? Okay. You got on the school board at a time when uh, uh, youth, children of color, um, yes. particularly many who were foreign-born or families yes. of people who were immigrants— we're being directed not into the Mankato public schools, 
but being yes. directed to an alternative school. Do I have that right? Absolutely. To adult, uh, you know, ABE, what we call ABE, Adult Basic Education, which essentially <laughs> teaches adults, grown-ups, English, and some basic language skills so they can access work. And it's not a, it's not a right. full, and how, you know, academic, yes. How old were the students that they were directing to the adult education? The students were as young as 17. Okay. And as old as 20. Okay, and so, but these are students who under Minnesota law are guaranteed the right to have a public education, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Right. They have the right to go to K-12 in the state of adult basic education. And this has been going on since 2014, even before I became a board member. I've been pursuing, you know, under the radar without publicly trying to change this. And in 2018, five of those students reached out to me and their families, and they said, you know, since you are on the board, we were sent to, you know, ABE, Adult Basic Education, and there's nothing there. There's nothing to be learned there. We want to pursue our education. One of them, one of the girls told me, that she wants to become a doctor, and the only way she can do that is she, if she can finish her high school with her peers, right? And you know, get back to, and that really motivated me. And I've I've given all of them my business card as a school board member, and I told them go back to your respective high schools, and if anybody tells you otherwise, I demand that you be seated in a classroom, and that's what they did, and they were seated in classrooms back into the high schools. And then I spoke to Legal Aid. Uh, they have a education advocacy yep. uh, section, and to make sure that they are supported. Because as a board member, I cannot get involved in the day-to-day -day stuff. I wanted to stay out of the way, but at the same time, the students. I wanted them to have a support and advocacy within the school, and that's how they were able to. Three of them were able to graduate successful this spring. Right, and and. It's the whole idea that you've got a school district that is taking students who are not white and and a board member who's not white yes. and marginalizing them, minimalizing them in a variety of ways, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, Abdi, and, go, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I just want to tell you, with that, with that story with, about these five kids, before I send them back to the schools, I asked for a board study session. So we, first I had a one-on-one -on -one meeting with the superintendent, which is the former superintendent. And I said, you cannot do this. Please let these students come back to their schools. And she, she didn't do anything. And then I requested a board meeting, a study session, to talk about this topic. And through that, and I invited the families to come to the board meeting, and they, and they have. And... All the board, my colleagues wanted to do is attack me instead of resolving the issue. So that's at that point when I told them to go back to a high school. No point, no one can legally tell you otherwise that you should demand yep. to be seated in, 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 in your classrooms. And that's how the story ended successfully. Well, and then you also have legal aid behind the whole situation. Which Absolutely. Are, which, Absolutely. So, Abdi, I'm so sorry, but we are out of time, Okay. But I want you to no know, problem. I want you to know this, all right? I want you to know that I believe in you, okay? And I want you to know that um, if there's anything I can do um, ever to assist uh, you or, or your community, 
the whole of Mankato, okay, and or parts of it, um, yes. to get past the way that we other people and to make the community more inclusive. I'm here, okay? Just let me know. Well, just, thank you. Thank just, you very much, and thank you for all your advocacy that you do. And I hope that you are successful in connecting with the governor. And the governor is actually connected to my story more than you would think. He's, he's from here. He used to teach in our school district yep. at West High School. And he he's, he's a former teacher, geography teacher in West High School in Mankato. And he also, in his campaign for governor, said that he will be the education governor. And I'm, and I'm very hopeful that he will come around to changing things for the better in our public education so that children, regardless of their background or gender or whatever their details might be, will have an environment where they are valued and given high expectation so they can dream as much as they want to and achieve as much as they want to and, and we can provide a public education experience that provides that, that values them. Well, Abdi, thank you so very much. I, I applaud you for that. And thank you so very much for being on LE 2.0 Radio. I really appreciate it. Okay? All right? Okay, so listeners, um, I've been speaking with Abdi Sabri from Mankato about his experience there and being on the school board and some other issues involving othering of humans. Um, if you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. When we come back, I'll do my C block and talk a little bit about my work. Thanks so very much. If you're looking to save money on your home or building improvement project, check out Better Futures Minnesota's reuse retail warehouse in South Minneapolis. We carry salvage building materials such as cabinetry, flooring, plumbing fixtures, appliances, lighting, and more, saving you money and saving the planet by keeping these items out of the landfill, by giving them another life. Selections change daily, and we also take donations. Go to betterfuturesminnesota.com and look under Reuse Warehouse to learn more. Let us know AM950 sent you. Brending Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. All right, we are back on AM 950 LE 2.0 Radio. Um, so, you know what you can do? You can read up on what's going on in Mankato. Uh, I think that it's incredibly important. And, and for my C block, I really want to uh, continue on this discussion about what's going on in greater Minnesota. Now, you know, broken record, Ellie here, but uh, I want to go back to something I've talked about here before, and that is the idea of a Truth and Reconciliation Commission in Minnesota. Um, you know, uh, we, we've never had one, and we need one now. 
And we need one, not just for the Twin Cities, but we need it for the entire part, the entire state of Minnesota, okay? Because as Abdi reminded us, people across Minnesota are being made to feel other because of their skin color, because of their, or their disability status, or because of, of their socioeconomic status. I mean, uh, and we need, we need to have a conversation about why the skin color of white is favored over other skin colors. We just need to have that conversation. Now, I, I said that and somebody, you know, I had somebody like, Ellie, I don't think that. Okay, well, I know that not every white color person thinks that way, but I'm sorry, the broad majority of white color people, and they're not going to tell you they consciously favor white skin color. This is partly why structural racism is so hard for us to get past. Okay? Um, so, here's... Uh, you know, I've created this, uh, you know, three-page plan for Minnesota to have a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Go to my website, italykrug.com. Go to the projects page, and you'll, you'll be able to download that plan. I've called upon repeatedly Governor Walls to adopt that plan, but, you know, I'm just this really small human, and the odds of Governor Walls ever paying attention to Ellie Krug are darn small. Still, in the July 20, excuse me, June 27th Star Tribune, remember the show is taped, there's a great story by John Reinan, R-E-I-N-A-N, of the Star Tribune, uh, about what, what's happening in rural Minnesota around trying to deconstruct structural racism. Uh, Reinan's piece is titled, Can Rural Minnesotans Confront Racism?, Again, in the June 27th Star Trib, the story begins with highlighting evangelical Lutheran pastor. It's a tough day, Ellie, for you to speak. Highlighting evangelical Lutheran pastor Jeff Fitzcapis, who is uh, the pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Montevideo, Minnesota. Montevideo, Montevideo. and who has been preaching to his small congregation about the need to take responsibility for structural racism. Um, we just heard from Abdi about how structural racism is alive and well in Mankato. Rainin's piece um, goes on to highlight how the idea of what I call rugged individualism, that is the idea that, hey, I was able to make it through my hard work. You know, why can't they? Quotation marks around they reflecting anybody who's not a white color person. This idea prevails throughout Greater Minnesota prevails throughout greater the greater America as well. You know, I can do it. Why can't they do it? But the reality, of course, is that part of being a white-color person means that you are able to get ahead in a variety of ways. If you're a white-color person, uh, your odds of getting a loan at lower interest rate are better, um, or you've got uh, you know, be, you, the odds of getting into college with a better uh, – a college that's going to give you a better pedigree or better, um, or that there is wealth in your family. The odds that there is simply wealth, that, you know, what that may mean is that your folks died – sorry about that um, – their house was paid off, and you and your sister get to split $150,000 in equity – which in turn you could give to your kids for college or you could save uh, to in, or for a rainy day or you can invest in the stock market and then make some money off of that. That's what I'm talking about wealth, okay? 
And Rainin's piece documents how Pastor Jeff's good intentions, notwithstanding that some of his parishioners have yelled at him, have yelled at, yelled him down, and others have left his church because all because he's talking about the need to deconstruct structural racism in our country, particularly in greater Minnesota. And that is the price that some idealists pay. I mean, I'm going to actually try and get Pastor Jeff on this show. We'll see. But it's the price that idealists pay when they, they advocate, when they speak up, is that they get shouted down. We just heard that from Abdi about how fellow, you know, other board members for Mankato School District, how they ignored him or then they marginalized him or they belittled him. Okay? And so... Um, you know, I see this story about Pastor Jeff in Montevideo. Ellie, you're tripping over that word. You know where I'm talking about. I see this story about him. And, you know, of course, what I want to do is now I want to go out there. I want to go to Montevideo. I want to go speak. I want to go train. I've actually reached out to Pastor Jeff, sent him an email yesterday and said, hey, I'm gonna, I'd be willing to come and do it for free. Okay? I haven't heard back from him. I suspect in light of the Star Tribune story, his inbox is pretty crowded right now. And I'm sure it's not crowded entirely with positive messages. But I hope that Pastor Jeff takes me up on my offer. As I always say, stay tuned. Finally, about me, business picking up. So things are getting better for me doing work online, in case you were just wondering. All right, we're out of time. It's been we've been sailing through all kinds of stuff on this show. I hope that you found the show enlightening and enjoyable. Um, please email me at lejkrug at gmail.com and let me know. About, I need to give a big thanks to our sponsors, Brending Electrolysis. Bev is back to work, so let her know that I sent you. And Better Futures Minnesota, my other sponsor, they give people a second chance. Many of those people are people of color other than the white color. Brett Johnson, always the best producer in the whole wide world. And to you, my listeners, you are the best listeners in the world. I really appreciate you. I appreciate that you tune in every week. Please tell others about my show. And of course, you know you can access it by podcast. All right, till next week, do me a favor. Go out, be brave, do good. Talk to you next week. Thanks. Thanks.